Hello everybody, and welcome to another episode of 5 and 40. Uh, this is episode number 10. The day today is 6620. And uh happy to be doing another episode with you today. You know, I talked last episode about kind of for some reason or another struggling to come up with topics, but this time um I just kind of came up with five topics pretty quickly off the cuff without really having to do much work at all, which is pretty nice. And um, the last episode was music episode, all music. Everybody was uh, very encouraging about that. I had a lot of good feedback. I really appreciate that. I really appreciate anyone who gives me feedback and talks about the topics. And I had some people who recommended some topics, and that was pretty fun. Um, Recently, uh, my friend Josh Peak, who does the uh, Stuff I Heard podcast, kind of the one who's encouraged me to podcast, and one of my best friends had his 200th podcast episode where he had all his good friends on. Now, I only could stay on for about two and a half hours because uh, it was right before uh, my friend Kate and I did a live stream uh, for some music, you know, on the 95 page, but I understand that all of the guys stayed on there for about five hours, which is a pretty massive podcast. I guess he put it up on YouTube, and can you imagine a five-hour podcast? Although I think I was on there two and a half hours. But, you know, having everybody there together, we sure had a good time. And um, also did another podcast with him uh, since then as well. And so, uh, but wanted to put out a 5 and 40 podcast and I really want to try to work, hopefully, now that things are settling down, get, getting some guests involved. I know the one episode I did with a guest was got some great feedback, and it was fun to do it with somebody else. But uh, just to start out here, you know, with the first topic that we always talk about is something encouraging, and I think something really encouraging is the COVID, which, you know, has... I honestly was trying not to talk all the time about COVID, and it certainly has been part of the not ideal section in the past, but right now I think we have a lot of good things to talk about with COVID, and just basically, you know, as you guys all know, I live in the place probably that was fourth per capita in COVID cases in the world, and so obviously it was a big issue here, and we've seen a really slowdown and trickle in cases, and it's interesting that we've seen this uh, trickle in cases where, and actually we've had several days where we had no new cases, but honestly, people here, when they reopened, you know, we're in the state of Georgia, we were one of the first states to reopen, you know, everybody was saying, oh, we're going to be such this huge spike in cases, and honestly, in the last couple of weeks, when you go to the store or go anywhere, probably 80 to 90 percent of people aren't wearing masks, people are kind of still distancing a little bit, but you know, there hasn't, it was kind of like a lot of things fell off here. And so the real question was, is when they fell off, when things reopened, you know, would the cases spike? And it doesn't appear that way. And the other interesting thing is of the cases that we're seeing, people aren't nearly as sick. You know, when this thing was first going on, you have all these people that come in 48, you know, they have low oxygen levels 48 hours later, they, um, are on the ventilator, and they're on the ventilator for 60 days, they're dying, all of those kind of things. Not really seeing new cases like that, which I think is kind of interesting, and I don't really know why, but certainly we'll take it, right? Um, basically, the, uh, the theory out there might be that, you know, does warm weather affect this thing? The weather has warmed up. I don't know if that's the case. If so, does that mean that, you know, later in the year when the weather cools down, could we see a re-spike in cases? I'm not 100% sure. Um, but I certainly hope not. Um, you know, just from the standpoint of it's getting better, things are getting back to normal, uh, Georgia's reopening bars. Um, you know, you guys know that I'm in a band 95, and we had eight shows scheduled prior to COVID hitting, of course, which all got canceled, but that stuff's starting to reopen. Um there are some music acts scheduled at local places, Harvest Moon, new place that's open uh, called Tammy's that's booking. They actually asked us if we would be the first band, and we really wanted to be the first band, but not necessarily sure that we were ready uh, to really play at that time. And so, um, But now that that stuff's opening up, hopefully we can kind of get back to doing some of the things that we're doing. Um, but it's just very encouraging. Now, you know, we were really early... Um, you know, our, our curve was trending while other places were still spiking. My friend Josh, his mom, my mother live in the Florence, uh, Darlington, South Carolina area. And they certainly were spiking, 
you know, a lot long time after we were, but I'm sure it looks like they're seeing a flattening in the curve as well. So overall, you know, I think things are getting a lot better. Um, and just very pleased again with the recoveries as well, just because, you know, initially it's like nobody was getting off the ventilator. Like if you got on the ventilator, you weren't coming off or the percentages were so tiny. I mean, it was weeks in before I remember anyone getting off. And then it was such a small number of people, but now we're starting to see more people get better. Now, one interesting thing is that we started doing a lot more testing, um, we were, and we got the ability to do some rapid testing. So I think from the beginning, the real danger here was not necessarily the symptomatic patients that I was super concerned about. I was really worried about the ones that were asymptomatic that came in the hospital for another reason and had it and were spreading it to everyone for 14 days before they had any symptoms. And now that we're able to test, you know, we're not having that as a danger anymore. We know who has it. And we know even if you're asymptomatic, we know you tested positive and we can treat you accordingly, which kind of helps with the spread for sure. Um, and the other thing that's kind of there now is some antibody testing. Antibody testing is a little bit interesting. So I was exposed to a lot of the first patients. I never got an actual COVID test itself. I never had any symptoms. Um and I wasn't going to get an antibody test, but they were offering it, and I guess I had a weak moment, and I just said, well, I just was assuming that I must have had it, right? Like, I'd just been exposed to so many people, and another interesting thing that I read was that in any place where they were doing some widespread testing, they talked about in New York City, maybe where they had done, like, this largest group of random people, that up to 21% of people were testing positive for antibodies, and so basically... And that kind of meant there were a whole bunch more people that had this thing with no symptoms than we knew. And, you know, they were saying, like, maybe the mortality rate was 3%. Uh, but really, when you looked at if 21% of those people had it, maybe the rate was getting pushed down more to, like, 0.6%, which I think might be a little more realistic. Um... But I was thinking that there's a lot more people where we live just because of our hard number of cases that must have had this and been asymptomatic and that, you know, antibody testing would have been really high. So I did get a test and I was negative, which really surprised me. Um, I didn't think that I would be. Um, but other people I know have been positive and hadn't had near the exposures that I did, but it's maybe about community exposures. Um, but, you know, I think the real thing out there is it's good we have this testing. It's good the cases are slowing down. Now, one thing I will say about the antibody testing is that we don't really know what it means. Like, if you have an antibody test and you test positive, you know, does that give you lifelong immunity? I mean, I don't think we know, you know, because there's sometimes where you get exposed to things and you have antibodies and they will give you some uh, no immunity, sometimes a short-term immunity, sometimes a lifelong immunity. I mean, we don't know enough about COVID. You know, one time they were talking about that if they did antibody testing and you came back positive, they were going to kind of give you this certificate that then allowed you to come back into society. But, you know, that wasn't really an idea that would work because we can't prove that even if you had antibodies that you can't get it. And what about mutations? I mean, another question, because, you know, the reason you get a flu vaccine this year, but you can still get the flu next year is because, you know, you have different strains. And so I think that it was pretty clear that this, at least in places in the world, had mutated some. And so it's really hard to say at this moment that this thing is 100% totally gone. But at the same time, I think there's a lot of encouraging signs. Um, you know, with what I do, working in infectious disease, I've had people texting me about tests and especially about the antibodies and said, oh, I'm antibody positive, I'm this, I'm that, what does that really mean? And I just sort of feel like at this point, it doesn't really mean much of anything ex because of the fact that I think that precautions are the same. You know, if we're wearing masks, which a large majority of people aren't doing, but if we are, but especially if for some reason you tested positive for antibodies or something, it might be more important for you to wear one. And washing our hands and distancing, I mean, I think that's the answer to pretty much all the questions right now. And I think it's kind of sensible. You know, we can't destroy the economy, or it's amazing to me that the stock market is still pretty good considering, you know, 40 million jobless. And, you know, I mean, you can argue about how well the government supported, but, you know, a single $1,200 payment didn't go very far for a lot of people unless you were on unemployment, and that certainly wasn't everybody. But, um, you know, we do need to reopen, and I mean, I think it's time to reopen. I think we're seeing that with the easing of restrictions, and and I think that 
it would have been preferable if people had done a better job of distancing, wearing masks, and those kind of things. I, I don't think that we've done a great job with that. But despite that, you know, we've seen that we haven't had this big spike in cases. Now, could we have? Sure. I mean, someone asked me the other day, do you think those precautions were necessary or do you think it was a waste of time? I mean, I think from what we knew and from the risks and considering what our community had gone through, that doing those precautions was, you know, probably a good idea because of the chance of a re-spike. But I think we're fortunate that we didn't do a lot of those things on a pretty regular basis and we didn't have a big re-spike. And I think that's telling us now that things are getting quite a bit better. Um, and so, anyway, I think it's very encouraging. And I think that, you know, we had uh, my wife a, a small get-together. You know, we distanced and we, and it wasn't like 58 people. I think it was like seven total, but it, it sure was nice to have <laughs> some of our friends back together and get to see some other people again. And I look forward to that just kind of continuing to move forward. Um, so the medical section, interesting maybe topic to talk about so i was uh, talking to my friend jen and brent house and they both told me that they had been going to get acupuncture now i'm a medical professional you know i believe in western medicine and so if you believe in western medicine then acupuncture doesn't necessarily have a whole bunch of scientific evidence that says it should really do anything but i was kind of talking to him and Brent told me that he was going because he had been having some pain and then Jen was talking to me about some, you know, difficulty sleeping and I don't want to get in all their business. But they said both that it had really, really helped. And then um, my wife, she's kind of really into alternative medicine and some of those things and she had a book and I pulled it out and I was just kind of reading about the things that it really could help with and it's supposed to help with pain. It's chronic pain, supposed to help with insomnia. Uh, supposed to help with anxiety, supposed to help with, you know, quite a few things. And so um, I decided that I was just going to go give it a shot. And so I did. And I think at this point I've had five sessions. Now, the interesting thing is, I mean, acupuncture is different and it's different based on, you know, what kind of school that they're talking about because different uh, Asian countries will have kind of different procedures and how big the needles are and how deep the needles go and these kind of things. But I think to talk about what I've been doing and necessarily to call those things needles might not really be the right answer. I mean, they're kind of thin filaments. When she puts them in, it doesn't hurt. I guess one time she put one in my little toe that that stung a little bit, but I wouldn't call any of it being pain. Um, so it's interesting. You go in, and I'll tell you, like, one of the things about acupuncture is is that it's as much about you and your emotional state and and kind of a personal improvement and a kind of a mind adjustment as it is about anything else and so Larissa is the lady that I go see and I think actually she's like more of a therapist maybe than an acupuncturist you know um you go see her and I mean like she asks you kind of what's going on and talks and asks you questions and I was brutally brutally honest with her and I guess the other thing is is I went in with no expectations and I if you did you know, if you're like, oh, this isn't going to work, it wouldn't have worked. Um, but was I kind of skeptical? Sure. I mean, again, I, I don't have any reason to believe that should help. But hey, I was like, all right, let's give it a shot. So um, I was going weekly. And uh, it's interesting because you go for your first one and she tells you, she's like, well, you may feel kind of junky this week, you know, week one. And for sure enough, you know, I felt pretty good for a day and then I felt really trashy because, you know, she's like, well, it's going to do some stuff and it's going to kind of cleanse you out and we're readjusting and all these things. But when I went the second week, so the first week, I think I had positive results for one day. The second week, I had positive results for five and a half days. And man, to be totally and completely honest with you, I could tell immediately when it stopped working, like... And by working, you guys say, well, what did it do? Well, I felt incredibly more relaxed. Um, I felt that things that were bothering me, like I was, it was not bothering me as much. And I was even able to maybe recognize things were bothering me and also to kind of then make a decision to not allow them to bother me further. Um, and so I was much more relaxed. And I think just kind of overall less stressed and so that was really nice so then the third time I went 
it lasted the whole week. And the fourth time I went, it lasted the whole week. And now I'm, uh, or I'm sorry, the fourth time I went, it lasted actually two weeks because we decided to try to stress, stretch, stretch it out. And it did, it lasted a full two weeks. And so now I'm on a two week regimen. And you know, if that's working good, she says, we'll maybe even go a little bit further. But to kind of talk a little bit too about, you know, so they put the needles in and they let you kind of lay there for a while and then, and then you're done. And again, I can't give you an explanation how come it helps. All I, it, all I can do is tell you it helps. It's like um, Billy Graham, you know, when someone asked him about the existence of God. And uh, he says, you know, because someone was like, well, how do you know God exists? I can't see God. And he said, well, he said, I can't see the wind. He says, I can see the effects of the wind, but I can't see the wind. And so it's kind of like that. I don't know why it works, but I certainly could tell you that it does. But the other thing with Larissa is, I mean, she's really dynamic and she's a cool lady. And like I said, she's more like a therapist. But in addition to the acupuncture, you know, she'll start talking to you about stuff like, I don't know, like she's talking about, well, these are things that you can do to kind of look at why you might be stressed. Because if you can recognize why they are, then you can fix them. And so one of the things that uh, I realized is we like to walk the dogs in the morning. And I realized like when we would go and walk the dogs, I'd be incredibly stressed. My shoulders would be scrunched up and even to the point where like I'm scrunching my toes in my shoes. I don't know how you walk with scrunched toes. But I started to I started to a realize I was stressed, which was the first thing, because I, I got to be honest for several years. I just haven't even realized that. And so I realized it. And then she says, OK, well, once you realize it, then start kind of doing this evaluation of yourself. See where you're tense. See where you're stressed. And so like literally I know I've, I've come back to recognize when I'm stressed and when I am I kind of do this little self-evaluation and I'll find my toes are crun- scrunched up or my shoulders and and I relax them and things get better and so I don't know I, I can really recommend it you know I mean I know there's a lot of people who would never say ah, I'll never do that because the needles or whatever I mean I can tell you that it doesn't it, it has never hurt me um, it's not painful, but I will tell you that she did tell me that I can't remember specifically what school she's going with, but she did tell me the Chinese school used much bigger needles and they went much deeper. And so when she puts these little filaments in, I mean, they're very shallow. Sometimes they fall out. Um, you know, but the first time I went, she said, Hey, I'm going to let those work for a while. And then she left and then she came back and she, and, and she did the first ones on my back and she came back in and looked and she said, oh boy, I'm going to let those work another while. And I'm like, okay, well, what does it mean to work? And so basically what it is, is like when she puts the needle in, like honestly, this little red whelp will develop around that needle. And like when I first started out, like I kid you not, like some of those things were quarter sized. And now I have it where they're very little or I'm having none at all. And kind of she says that that's the results of it or whatever. So I don't know. She'll talk sometimes about some spiritual or more mystical things. And, and uh, yeah, at first I was just kind of blowing them off or whatever. But now, heck, I mean, everything she's doing and saying seems to have helped me. And, and center, I mean, it's a centering thing. And you know, my wife does yoga. I've tried yoga. Yoga didn't do a whole bunch for me. But acupuncture seems to be my kind of thing. But if you see me and you want to know more about it, ask me because um, I'm a believer. I'm a fan for sure. Um, so the next section that I talk about is something that's not ideal. And so the thing I wanted to talk about, and, you know, specifically, I don't want to specifically talk about the George Floyd thing from the standpoint of, you know, whether or not it's right or wrong, because the interesting thing about the George Floyd thing is that there's things that I think every single person that I've talked to agrees upon, right? So I think the thing is, is that every single person says, well, police brutality is not a good thing. We don't want that. And then every single person I've talked to has also said, well, they kind of killed George Floyd and they shouldn't have killed George Floyd. I agree with that. And then, hey, the police officer that did that, which you know, you watch the video and he's so nonchalant about it, like he doesn't care. Should he go to jail? Sure, he should go to jail. I mean, if he's going to kill someone, and, and I think that's above and beyond his responsibility to protect the public, yeah, he should go to jail. And so the really interesting thing is, is that you have all of these principal things about this that I think everyone agrees on. I mean, I haven't found anybody yet who says, oh, it was a great thing that that happened. I don't think anybody thinks that. 
And so I think the thing is, is that's not ideal or the thing that I really question is how in the world is something that we all agree on dividing us so much? And so I think the situation is not ideal, yes. But I think, you know, I'm not really trying to debate that because I don't think there's necessarily a debate because of the fact that everybody sort of agrees that that was a bad thing. So what I think is necessarily not ideal you know, comes down to further things. And there's a few things that I kind of wanted to mention. And one of the things basically is social media. And social media, I mean, during this time, has just become a trash heap, you know. And if you spend a lot of time on social media, it's really hard to start figuring out that it's sort of like the most extreme stuff on there and the most extreme people and that that group of extreme people are at least the ones that are vocal on, on those kind of sites like Facebook or Twitter are not the majority, nor are they representative of the majority of people, right? But, you know, the biggest thing about the social media during this time is is that people are so mean and nasty to each other about stuff. And, I mean, the one thing that I think is interesting is is that if we were going to get to a place where everyone was more enlightened or had more understanding of things and... and you know, we all want to support. Like, if there's something that we can do that would support what happening to George Floyd happening, I think kind of we'd all be on board, right? None of us would be like, oh, wow, let's not do that. But I think the thing is, is maybe a lot of us don't necessarily understand how, what, what could we personally do. And maybe we don't understand how people feel. And so I think the thing is, is that there's not really ever been a change that happened among people without people being able to discuss things and without people being able to talk about things. One of the things I thought about is like when I used to be a manager. And so I was trying to think to myself about, well, okay, so I'm a manager. I have to get things. Things aren't going the way that I need them to go with employees and I need to get things done. So I have two approaches to that, right? Approach number one is that I run out on the floor and I scream at everybody and I say to everybody, you're terrible employees because you're doing these things and you need to start doing these things and I want that done immediately. Well, I don't necessarily make clear or everyone doesn't necessarily have a good understanding of what needs to be done or the best ways to do it or has made any agreements on how we're going to do it or has had any ability to discuss anything or any buy-in. And so when I turn around and walk away, number one, it's not going to get done because we didn't necessarily figure out how it's going to get done. And then number two, because I kind of was a manager who was a total jerk, then everybody's going to try to, if they have an opportunity to undermine me and undermine the thing that I'm saying we need to accomplish, they're going to do it, right? Now, the other option is is to, to you know, have a meeting and everybody gets together and I'm like, okay, well, this is kind of the one of the big issues here and, and I'd really like us to try to go this way. And what do you think about that? And then everyone can give their opinion. And then it's like, well, how do you think we can get that accomplished? And the people who are on the front line doing the work that would actually be the ones who have to do it, you know, give input to how that could get accomplished. And then everyone feels like they have buy-in and everyone's had an opportunity to ask questions and every and we've had some discussions. And it certainly is a lot more likely that that is going to succeed over the other thing that I discussed. You know, but that's not, not what we're seeing on social media. What we're seeing on social media is is that if somebody posts something and, and asks a question or someone, you know, like some of the things I saw were like people just saying, hey, what it is, like like explain to us how how this is is impacting people so that we understand because when we understand we may do things different or I need to ask this question so that I, I can clarify things and people just basically coming back and saying well you know you don't have a right to ask questions we're tired of explaining things to you we're not going to talk about things and I'm like okay well that's all well and good Except how is it that if your goal really is to kind of have a, an increase in understanding and have people change, that you're going to shut down all communication? I just don't think that that works. And the other even worse thing that I've been seeing is like um, stuff where people are just being so mean and nasty to each other and just shutting down all conversation or anything by throwing out, you know, pretty terrible terms. And so maybe the best example I've seen of that is a person that went on there and they posted, hey... You know, I don't agree with police brutality. I don't ab agree that George Floyd should have been killed. I do agree that the people that killed him should go to jail. 
but I'm not feeling so sure about the fact that, that, you know, the riots and the burning down and the looting and those kind of things are the best thing to do. And then, like, pretty much immediately someone else basically posts on there and, and calls that person a Nazi sympathizer, right? I mean, I think that's kind of insane, because obviously that person's not a Nazi sympathizer. But again, just kind of being mean and nasty to each other and kind of shutting down conversation, which I just don't think we can do. But again... Looking at this, this is social media, and I think people say a lot of things on social media they'd never say face-to-face -face with people. Um, and I think that, that, that people just act in a way on social media that they wouldn't act normally. I mean, I think some of the things people say, if they said them to the face of some of the people they say them to, they'd probably get punched. <laughs> and so I think it emboldens people quite a bit, right? But... I think it really, though, makes people just feel like that they can be really nasty to each other in ways that we never would do face-to-face. -face. I mean, and, and there's the other thing about it is there's no way to talk to people and, and hear uh, voice inflections and look at body language. Like, if I were to walk up to you and say, hey, I really want to understand this and I don't, and you can hear in the tone of my voice that I'm being inquisitive and look at my body language and see, hey, he really is trying to figure this out. I think you'd definitely be willing to have a conversation with me as compared to social media where you can't read those things that's why email's bad too right like emails you think it sounds great and then the person that read it thinks it sounds inflammatory because all of the things we see in each other as we communicate with each other are just absent right um so you know i just am trying to make sure that i i continue to tell myself that the things that you see on tv the people in the media uh, the things that are posted online, the the really extreme views are not the views of Americans as a whole. You know, I think that for some reason or another, we've been doing a lot of what I like to call like all classification, maybe all's in quotes. And it's just basically when you take a group of people and you say they're all something and we kind of just know just that no one's all anything. I mean, it's been going on for a long time with the president in office where everybody just says like, all Republicans are hate immigrants, for instance, or all Republicans are racist, or all, and we know that's not true, right? I mean, we understand that the people with the really extreme views are just a very small segment of the population, and that none of us are all. Like, I can, I have to, we all have to, like, look at maybe a person we elect or looked at pretty much any choice we make in our life, and we have to weigh the pros and cons. We're not going to think that everything from one side or another is great. But you have to make the best decision based on what we think and feel. And so, you know, we got a lot of alls going around, right? We have a lot of all police are, are you know, trying to kill people. And we have all white people are racist. And even to the point where they say all African-Americans agree with the way this is being handled in the media and with rioting and looting, which we know isn't true. There's no way everyone agrees with that. As a matter of fact, the majority of people wouldn't do something like that, right? And so I guess the thing I'm going to say is, you know, I'm really trying to uh, maybe struggling with some of these things at the beginning, but kind of lucky or feel fortunate that maybe I've come to the point where I'm ignoring a lot of the Facebook stuff. And even if I see something, just sort of understanding that that's not real life and is not real America. Right. I mean, I think the things we're seeing are not what America is, not what it's about. And I think there's a lot of vilifying of America, but I mean, America is the best country in the world, right? And if you're here making minimum wage, you're in the 1% of people as far as how much money you have in the whole entire world. And very few, I mean, I guess you can't say nobody, but there's not a, like, again, there's a small amount of people, but most people here don't have to spend their days worrying about how it is that they're going to get water and how they're going to eat today and that kind of stuff, right? And so we're in a pretty good place and... I guess I'm just looking forward to us trying to get through this thing. Um, but it's pretty distressing. And it's distressing uh, to if you're a person who just feels like everything that you're seeing and hearing just is not in any way representative, not only of you, but I feel like that it's not representative of anyone I know, or at least most people I know, right? And so we got to kind of try to stay away from that negativity, try to support one another, and, uh, you know, hopefully not have these things kind of happen um so to talk about random things uh some of the random category today i wanted to talk about um this does sound like my friend josh's stuff i heard podcast because he like you know looks at a lot of things and and kind of anything he's interested in he talks about it but one of the things that i've been kind of doing i like podcasts or at least i'm getting to like podcasts i don't like them like hardcore podcast people right but um 
I've been listening to a podcast by a guy named Ben Shapiro. Now, it's interesting because Ben Shapiro is an, is a staunchly conservative individual. It's sort of a political political podcast. He is a he is a orthodox Jew. He has some very very strict beliefs, and as I listen to him, I certainly realize that he is he is more extreme than I am. There's things he believes I don't believe in. Which is okay. I mean, I think one of the things is right now is the again, it's the struggle about you don't believe what I believe, and so I can't tolerate and have to shut down your opinion. Well, I can listen to him, and and it's actually helpful to me sometimes to listen to what he has to say and to be able to... It makes me think within myself, do I agree with that or do I not agree with that? And so he has this main podcast, and to be honest with you, I've, I've gotten less interested in his main podcast, because during his main podcast... He pretty much is talking just him, and he's talking like straight politics. And sometimes it's a bit extreme for me. But he has thousands of episodes, or at least a thousand, twelve hundred, something like that. The interesting thing, and why I'm even talking about him, is I discovered that he does Sunday conversations. And so I basically am not, as I'm listening, I'm not listening to his main podcast anymore, but I am listening to his Sunday podcast because he always has a guest on. And what's really, really interesting is maybe not even what he has to say. I sort of know what he's going to have to say, but it's what the guests have to say. And he has like really smart experts about things on and some of them are very conservative and some of them are not sometimes he has people on the other side he had a guy on i uh, just listened to about climate change right and it was a really incredibly insightful thing about climate change and this was not a guy who was like super far to the left about climate change he was very he believed in it he was sort of moderate i i think he understood that some of the things that we are talk about attempting to do is not necessarily going to work. Um, you know, as far as like one of the ways, like the United States has really decreased carbon emissions over the last few years. And one of the ways we've done it is by switching more to natural gas. And so the way you get natural gas is a process called fracking. And fracking may not necessarily be the best for the environment, but it's sort of a balance between, well, what's worse? What happens from fracking or what happens from the fossil fuels we would be using if we weren't using natural gas? And so, you know, this guy's talking about that. But honestly, what he talked about I thought was most interesting is is that it seems like the majority of the problem with global warming is coming from the raising of animals to kill for meat. Um, and it's actually like one of the or the leading cause of why there's rainforests being cut down. It's not because they're cutting down rainforests; they're cutting down rainforests so that they have room for animals to graze. Because you know the demand for meat is so high as the population goes up, and so those emissions from that are kind of maybe the biggest danger. And so the guy's not on there like stumping to say, "Hey, you know, let's." you know, cut all carbon emissions and let's have all these, you know, pay all this money, billions of dollars in order to do these things. You know, he's basically saying, hey, if I said to you one meal a day, how about you don't eat meat? Could you do that? Right? And so, you know, I mean, it's sort of the things where, or if you eat meat seven times a week, could you consider doing six? And the thing being that if everyone just decreased the meat they ate a little bit, which decreased the demand for you know, this animal stuff, it could have an impact. And so it was a well thought out thing. And climate change is not something that, I mean, I'm not necessarily a denier, but I'm also not someone who's been super worried about it, nor am I someone who's always been like, well, let's get into some accord with these other countries where we're going to, you know, put out billions of dollars to try to fix this thing. Because we just don't know what the effects are going to be, you know, and I don't want some really extreme supposed solution however this guy wasn't talking in extreme solutions he's like and he wasn't even like a, a scientist really he was more like an author but he was basically just saying look i decided to look at this thing and i decided to say what could i personally do that could have an impact on this and that was his what he came up with he's like i just decided i could eat meat not not eat meat one meal a day and he said so if a whole bunch of people would just say look at this and and say, hey, you know, this is going to happen. We don't, and and can I personally help? 
could everyone else not eat meat one meal a day? Or a, a lot of people. And could that have some big impact? And so this is just an example of just these conversations. And so I, if you weren't a diehard conservative, it might really be difficult for me to recommend his general podcast to you. However, going to his podcast and listening to the people that he brings in to interview on the Sunday Conversations is very interesting. And I really especially like the ones where he has on someone that that doesn't agree with him. I mean, it's really staunch uh, abortion stance, you know, and it's from his Judaism and these kind of things and his, his religious beliefs that he just believed in abortion. And so he had, uh, you know, a pretty big feminist on. <laughs> and so, of course, the feminist was pro-abortion and they didn't like they were nasty to each other, but it was just very good to hear both sides of that equation. Um, and so, I don't know, it's... Uh, it, it's pretty good. So I can recommend that uh, if you like podcasts and you're going somewhere and you want to give something a listen, then then give Ben Shapiro's podcast a listen, but try to listen to the Sunday conversations where he has a guest and see if you enjoy those. And so lastly, um, I've been talking about music as the last topic for a pretty good while because I used to talk about bourbon, but I'm still kind of on the wagon, haven't been drinking. I guess the last time I had anything was about February 14th, so it's been a pretty good while. I sure sleep better. I always like that. But I do have some bourbon stuff to talk about this time, and so we'll talk about bourbon this time again. Um, and I'll be doing some bourbon updates. I'm going to talk to you about the project I'm doing, and then we'll update that. If I don't have anything to say, we'll do music. But if I do have something to talk about with this bourbon thing, I will. And I maybe doesn't even need to be a full subject topic. But um, So just as a disclaimer right off the bat, uh, there's a very big bourbon group in Atlanta. It's called Bourbon Barons. Really good group, some really cool people in it, and, and they really do some pretty interesting things. So one of the guys in that group um, and did something that I thought was pretty neat. And so one thing about bourbon is is that in order to be a bourbon, you have to meet some specific rules. And one of those rules is that, that you know, the way bourbon is, and pretty much all spirits is basically, but bourbon specifically is that you have a still and you make, you know, you... you uh, you may use some grains and you make a clear alcohol. And so basically bourbon starts as a clear alcohol. Now, for bourbon to be bourbon, it has to be placed in a charred, a brand new charred oak barrel. And they have some different numbers on the charring, and but most all are three or four, and that's just basically how long do they burn it. But you have this oak barrel, it's charred inside, you put the clear liquid in it, and as it sits in the barrel, and that liquid comes in contact with the charred wood on the inside, it's what gives it a brown color, and it's what gives it its flavor. And so that's sort of how that works. Now, one of the things that you're allowed to do and still be a bourbon is that you can finish bourbon. And so what that means is, is that you have put it in your charred oak barrel, your new barrel, like you're supposed to, and you've aged it as long as you want to. And you basically say it's done. It's the bourbon you want it to be. You then can choose to do other stuff with it if you want to. And so different companies might do different things. One of the things that Maker's Mark will do is that they have this thing where you can, they put in, they have 12 different types of wooden staves and they can put additional staves in there at the end of the process to give it different flavors. Um, some have like, there's wine finished bourbons. Uh, there are, um, so there's sherry and there's all these different things. So basically take it out of that charred oak barrel and put it in a barrel some other alcohol had been in and finish it, basically add additional flavor. And so... One of the things that you can do is you can get a barrel for yourself at home. Now, they make them in a number of different sizes, but I got one that is um, two liters. So it's not a super huge barrel, but it's a, a brand new two liter charred oak barrel. Now, when you first get it, you have to cure it, and it's because these barrels will leak. Um, maybe another interesting thing is is that when you have when you put bourbon in a barrel, and you know some of these things are aged for seven years, ten years, whatever you have evaporation and it's they call it the angel share and so basically like when you put a full barrel up on the rack seven years later you don't have as much bourbon as you had because you lost some and how much you lose can vary and basically 
you know, uh, this this alcohol is going in the barrel, probably somewhere around 125 proof. But the final product can be, the proofs vary from barrel to barrel because you could have had an evaporation of alcohol, you could have had an evaporation of water, some combination, but you don't know how much. So from barrel to barrel to barrel, you'll have different alcohol concentrations at the end of your aging process. Um, so with these barrels at home, the other thing is, is they sell something called White Dog. And what White Dog is, is basically it's that clear, unfinished product. It's the alcohol that came, that was made before it goes in a barrel. And you can buy that. And so you can buy a barrel at home and you can put this in there and you can age it. Now, I did a lot of reading before I went through this process. And one of the things that I read was that... So basically, you know, the barrels that they use usually have about like one big barrel will be like 180 to 200 bottles of bourbon. And so it's a big barrel. And so basically at any one time, the amount of the liquid in the barrel that's coming in contact with that wall is not a whole bunch. But when you get a much smaller barrel with much less liquid in it, a a much larger percentage of that alcohol is in contact with the barrel at all times. So what that means is, is that it will, it will age much faster. And it won't really nah, age is the wrong word. I'm sorry. It will, it will get the flavor off the wall of the barrel much faster when you use a small barrel. And what I read the problem with was trying to use the white dog, and you're basically trying to make your own bourbon. Is that because it's in that small of a barrel, like it, like you can age stuff so long that it kind of gets over oaky, like you, you lose the good bourbon flavor and it just tastes woody or oaky. And so basically what I read was is that you, in a small barrel like that, trying to put white dog in it and age it is that you can't get it sufficiently aged to be good before it gets over-oaked. And then the other thing I read is that the angel's share or what you lose in a small barrel can be much larger. Some guy said like he put stuff in there for six months and at the end of the six months there was nothing left. <laughs> so basically the point is is that Trying to use one of these smaller home barrels in order to try to use like a a white dog and make your own bourbon is just not that successful. Now you can do it at home with a much bigger barrel, Uh, but for these smaller barrels, people just said don't even bother. It just doesn't work. You can't get a good product. You can't get anything like what you just buy at the store. So what they were saying is is that this is something where the process is that it's really good for trying to finish bourbon that's already supposedly done. And so this guy in Atlanta, what he did, and he had a much bigger barrel than I did, um, but he basically put some bourbon and he did a blend. He didn't say what the blend was, but it looked like it was quite a few different bottles. And he put it in the barrel for a while and he left it in there for a little bit because the other thing that happens is, is you have the alcohol in there and the alcohol is is getting you know contact with this charred wood and it's getting brown and it's getting the flavor, but at the same time, the alcohol is getting absorbed into the wood itself. And so basically what he did is he put it in there, he left it for a while. You know, the bourbon's getting finished and there there's uh, one bourbon called Woodford Reserve and basically they have something that's called double oaked. And so basically it's like they made it in the charred oak barrel like they were supposed to, then they put it in a second charred oak barrel. And so this is basically a double oaking process for that bourbon. Um, so anyway, he, he put that in there, then he, he took that out and then he filled the barrel with honey. And so he left the honey in there for a while. And so basically the honey's then in contact with the walls of the barrel that have some of the bourbon in it. And so you're getting some of the charred oak flavor, but you're also getting some of the bourbon infused into the honey. Then he took that honey after a period of time and poured it out. And so he had some bourbon infused honey. And then he put the bourbon back in. Now he gets most of the honey out, but you can't get all of the honey out. And so basically when you put the bourbon back in, you're basically getting a honey finished bourbon. And as it sits in there with the honey, you're getting a honey finish. And then the longer it sits in there as well, you're still getting more contact with the wood. And so you're oaking and getting a honey finish. And so this guy did that, and I just thought that was a really cool idea. And so I decided to do that. And so that's kind of what I'm doing. I got a a, a two-liter charred oak barrel. I um, First thing I did was cure it. And in order to cure the barrel, you have to put it in hot water, and you have to leave it in there for about five days. 
and I did that, and that, that was today that I emptied that water. And it's pretty interesting. Even the five days that that water was in there, it came out a little brownish. It actually absorbed some of the oaky flavor just while the water was in there. And what they say is is that really the, the barrel comes dry, but once you get it wet, you want to do the process wet. So you pour the water out, and then you put the bourbon in. And so what I did, I had a two-liter barrel, and I used three different bottles of bourbon. So one of the bottles I used was called Buffalo Trace. The other one was Weller Special Reserve. And then the last one was Old Granddad 114. And I had a little extra out of one of those bottles because I had two liters. So the one I put the less in was, was the Old Granddad 114. However, it should have been about a third of that bottle left and there really wasn't. So there must have been a little more space in that barrel than, than just two liters. So right now I got the bourbon in, and my plan is I'm going to leave that in there for three weeks, and I'm going to kind of shake it every once in a while. Maybe another interesting thing is there is a bourbon, it's called Jefferson's Ocean, because what they do is that they they put this the alcohol in those barrels, and while it's aging, the barrels are sitting on these racks, and they do turn those barrels every once in a while, and it may differ based on who's making it. But just the point is, is that, you know, turning it and getting, you know, different liquid maybe or just kind of moving things around to get different contact. And there is one company called Jefferson's Ocean that basically takes their barrels and once they put it in the barrels, they load them onto a ship and sail it around the world with the thought that as the boat's going and the waves that it's kind of sloshing everything around in there and that that's supposed to help i've had that bourbon Eh, it didn't really do much for me but it's a it's a nice concept but it's kind of good to think about that process of why you would turn the barrels and so over the next three weeks i'll shake up the barrel every once in a while now my plan is in three weeks i'm going to take the bourbon out i'm going to put the honey in luckily my wife works for a gentleman who uh Simmons family honey and so I have access to two liters of honey um this isn't going to be an inexpensive <laughs> process you know honey's pretty expensive um but I haven't been buying bourbon so honestly it's a much less expensive proposition than bourbon buying um but anyway so I'm gonna put honey in there I'm gonna leave the honey in there for about four weeks and try to get some bourbon infused honey then take the honey out put the bourbon back in and try to get some uh, oaked honey-infused bourbon. And I guess the real question is, how long am I going to leave the bourbon in after I put it in when the honey's out? And I don't really know the answer. You know, you have to then kind of taste it, and probably weekly, just to make sure it's not getting too oaky. So um, I'll take it out when I can. I'm guessing that's probably going to be about three to four weeks, but we're going to have to see. Um, the other thing I'm going to do once I get the bourbon back in the second time too is um, keep us keep samples weekly so that I can look at the color because the color will change of course just, you know just science so I'm really hoping that that this is going to turn out good it appears from the guy that did it in Atlanta that his stuff is good like some people got his bottles and of course everybody said it was great his barrel was bigger than mine um, his his aging was a little longer than I'm contemplating but that's because this barrel was bigger because the smaller the barrel the quicker this process all happens um but anyway I think it's going to be pretty fun and I guess it's one thing you know I haven't I have been on the wagon for a long time but I'm not anticipating I'm going to do it for the rest of my life and so uh you know at least when it comes to the tasting of this stuff weekly probably starting uh seven weeks from now you know, I'll be tasting a little bit, right? But I hope it's really good. And if it is really good, maybe I will get a bigger barrel and do some more. Um, and, you know, the other thing is if it works too, you could talk about and think about doing other, other finished bourbons. I mean, once I'm done with this process, you can rinse out the barrel, clean it out, and you can use the barrel again. Um, and so one of my friends uh, suggested maybe trying to do a vanilla finished bourbon. And this is kind of nuts and I'm not sure if it's any good or not but you know I think about Fireball and not really Fireball my friend Josh West who lives up in Maryland uh, has a, a cinnamon whiskey from up there that is um, I can't remember the name of it but it's much better than Fireball to me Fireball is exceptionally sweet and not too much special about it but I think it might be interesting to put bourbon in a barrel for a while take it out then put some of that cinnamon whiskey in there and basically the cinnamon whiskey then would absorb 
some more oaky flavor and some of the other bourbon flavor, then take that out and then finish the bourbon with that cinnamon still in there and just kind of see what's better. You know, would it be that the cinnamon whiskey that then got more whiskey and oak content was better? Or would it be that, you know, the finished whiskey would be better? They would certainly be different. And so if this works out, I mean, I think that might be a fun experiment to do. And so this is kind of cool. I mean, this is the kind of thing that if I have a hobby, I'd like to try to do some fun stuff like this. So I'll keep you guys informed on how it goes. So uh, I am 5 and 40 where my goal is to talk about five topics for 40 minutes and I'm at 50 minutes. So I'm a little bit over. Um, One thing that's sort of interesting, I was listening to, gosh, which podcast was it? But I was listening to a podcast where the guy was talking about research that he had done about podcasting. And so... You know, my friend Josh Peak that does his Stuff I Heard podcast, there's no time limit to his. There's no, you know, some are short, some are long. It's just basically he just talks about the stuff he heard about and anything he's interested in. And if it's two hours, great. And if it's 40 minutes, great. And it doesn't really matter. Now, I'm a little more structured maybe. or And I was thinking, too, about the fact that if people listen to podcasts, like maybe they'd like them to be sort of manageable, manageable time limits, you know? I mean, I didn't know that people would really listen to two-hour podcasts. But one thing that was interesting, I, I heard a guy talking about the research his company had done that basically just said if he put out 30 minutes, that the biggest response was, why don't you do an hour? And if, if he put out an hour, then he'd get responses, why don't you do an hour and a half? And so maybe it is that longer podcasts are better or that people want to hear longer podcasts. And so... If you're listening, you know, give me some feedback on that. Because if, if, if you like it and it's something that's interesting where you might like some more topics or content or longer, you know, I could do longer. Um, especially if I have guests because when COVID stuff is over, I'd like to try to get more guests. And, uh, you know, another thing is do you have an, inter- an interest in being a guest? And if you do, that would be fun because uh, I think it would be good. So I appreciate the listen. I uh, appreciate the feedback. Let me know about if you see me uh, or or text me or whatever or send me an email um, about uh, any of the topics we discussed and any opinions that you may have about it. I guess the one thing I want to say right off, and I mean, I'm anyone who's I, I, not like I have a listenership of 8 million people. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't think anyone who's listening to podcasts is probably somebody that I know and not someone I would assume who would do anything like this. So I'm not, so don't be offended by it. I'm not saying it, but it's kind of like maybe because of the topic I discussed, I need to. And that's just that, you know, if someone sent me some feedback, I certainly have no interest in any feedback that's in any way suggestive of anything racial. I mean, just to be honest, right? Because regardless of what my opinions are and regardless of, I don't necessarily know, the riots are pretty bothersome to me. You know, I don't have any problem with any person regardless of anything. You know, I don't believe that George Floyd should have been killed. I don't believe there should be police brutality. I believe they should be held accountable. I do not believe all the craziness that's being said on the news and said on Facebook about that everyone is all of anything and that everyone's racist and all these kind of things. And I I mean, I'll be honest, I don't want to get into that stuff. Um, But anyway, thanks for listening. Uh, You guys have a good one. And we'll talk to you next time.